0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you, God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for granting us your presence, for being the light that shines in the midst of the darkness, and for the voice that gives us purpose and identity. Lord, we would ask this morning that you break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. I would invite you to turn this morning, if you have been following along in the bulletin or have brought your Bible along with you, to Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. This is one of those well known passages in Scripture where it's even often used as a euphemism by those who are not familiar with it. The concept of the burning bush is something that is a lot of fun to latch onto and yet discredit. We know that fire burns. When we train the acolytes, one of the very first things that we teach them, and acolytes, if you can hear me, what is the number one rule? Just say it together. Don't burn the place down. down. (laughs) See, we have them well trained. A few weeks back when we were teaching the acolytes for chapel with Anchor, I was back in the sacristy, and they had gotten dressed, and they were about to come out, so we were lighting the candles, and just before they came out, and I lit the one, and I went to light the other, and I said, well, that odd smell that is now in the room is the smell of burnt hair, because you have placed your torch beneath my arm." It's a good reminder of how we are called to humility. It's amazing to me as we read this story this morning that as Moses sees this, uh, you can presume out of the corner of his eye, this burning bush causes him to turn aside. But what I find fascinating in this is that then God says... Having seen him turn to investigate the bush, he speaks to Moses. Now why I find this interesting is because there are those moments where you wonder, how many times have we passed by God at work? How many other people could have passed by that burning bush before Moses finally saw the bush, and he's the one that turned around and approached it? Now scripture does not say this, this is my own imagination, but I share this with you because it's sometimes easy to overlook the fact that Moses very well could have just kept on walking, and that he actually thought about it before he turned to see for himself. We see, hear, and experience something amazing, and then we marvel over asking how it could have happened. And somehow we are still shocked to discover that the answer to that question is God. Moses sees this bush burning by itself in the wilderness, and yet it's not consumed in the slightest, so he detours from his path to investigate. And as if the burning bush itself wasn't enough, God begins to introduce himself And if that isn't also enough, then he gives his list of credentials. I am the Lord God, the father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. As if the burning bush needed any more credibility. Yahweh God takes and restores Moses' To his rightful place amongst God's people. See if you remember in Moses' story, he was born during a day when Pharaoh was killing all of the baby boys under the age of two. And so Moses' mother had taken him, placed him into a basket placed him into the Nile, and then Pharaoh's daughter finds him while she is bathing and then decides to adopt him as her own. So this Hebrew child is raised as an Egyptian. So the fact that God restores Moses to his place amongst his people is a huge deal. Especially for this Hebrew-born, adopted Egyptian, turned fugitive, and now a landless sojourner without a home of his own. God first tells Moses... What he's going to do. I have heard the cries of my people, Yahweh God says. Because of their task taskmasters, because of their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up to a land good and broad, A land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God says, I am going to take my people to the promised land. I am going to give them a home of their own. And oh, by the way, he says, after he tells Moses what he's going to do, Moses, you're going to lead them there. God tells Moses what he will do and then explains where Moses fits into that plan. Now, amazingly, but not entirely unsurprisingly, Moses does not respond in eager readiness. He doesn't say, Yes, yes, Lord, I am ready to go. I am ready to do the hard things. Instead, he asks God, Why me? Who am I? He has the gall to question God's plan and command to a burning bush. Are we only excited about what God is doing when we can passively watch it from the sidelines? Are we only excited about what God is doing around us when we don't have to be made uncomfortable? I was a kid, my family had this piece of land in Missouri, and we had a long field and then a creek that ran beside it that was down in the creek bed, and so my brother and I, we had gone down into the creek bed, and we were playing around in the water, and suddenly it seemed like it had gotten foggy. We thought, that's really bizarre, because in the middle of the day, it shouldn't do that. So we came back up and we climbed up the berm and we looked and the whole field was on fire. And my dad's giving us a rake going, quick, start helping. What began as a controlled burn quickly became very scary when the winds changed. You see, in life, the way that we work and the way that we operate spiritually is that when we feel like we have control over the fire, when we can control the flames, then we feel confident. And God is right beside us. But then when the wind changes, then it's easier for us to stand on the sidelines and watch God work someplace else and to do the hard things ourselves. Moses says, who am I? And we only get half of our the discourse between God and Moses because this continues. As we get into chapter 4, then Moses actually goes, I think you got the wrong guy. See, I can't even speak. I get tongue-tied, and God goes, guess what? I got that figured out, too. You're not getting off the hook that easy. Because I've already made a plan for this, and you're going to take your brother Aaron with you. Because you know what? Where you can't speak, he can. November and December are times when the themes of thankfulness and generosity inspire us to find our own ways to express them. And this quickly becomes a question of foundations. Both Peter and Paul, as they write letters to the early church, They speak of God as a consuming fire, a refiner's fire. And it talks about the way that those who stand on faulty foundations have their foundations burned up around them. And that for those who have their foundation in Christ, it remains... Unconsumed. So it begs the question, what would survive in a fire? Imagine if you sat around a campfire, and I'm sure that you've done this, where as the fire has gotten to its peak heat, and you have seen the conversations kind of peak and begin to dwindle, and you're just enjoying the presence of one another, and you begin to go... I wonder if that can will burn. I wonder how fast that stick will go up. Or what if we throw this pine tree on it? We like to test the flames. If you're home, or if this building were to be consumed by fire, what would you have left? See, the church isn't a building. And it does not exist outside of flesh. But what if we posed you the same question in your own life? The vast majority of times that fire is mentioned in Scripture, it is connected to consumption and destruction except for when God appears to Moses and the people of God to speak and show his presence through the fire. And this is a theme that carries all the way through, even into Pentecost, where it says that the Holy Spirit descended down upon the disciples like tongues of fire above their heads. so that when everything else burns, God gives us something that won't. God gives us himself. As the people of Israel wander through the desert, almost feeling as though it's aimless wandering, they are guided by a pillar of fire at night Fire descends down upon Mount Sinai as God speaks to His people in thunder. We've already mentioned Peter and Paul and Pentecost. And in Hebrews 12:29, the author writes, "Our God is a consuming fire. Yet, in spite of all of this, how often do we respond to God's call by asking, Who am I, Lord? Why me? Who am I that I should serve? Rather than marveling in awe over the fact that he even wants us to. See, in ministry, we call this the Jonas. Where we know what God has called us to do, and yet we want to run the other way instead. And it's good and right to test to ensure that it's God's will and not your own. Towards the end of our reading, As Moses has continued the, but God, God simply answers and says, I will be with you. That scary thing that you ran away from, or perhaps that you would like to, God says, I got this. I'll be with you. If the bush doesn't burn, what makes you think you will? And yet we have that voice that whispers doubt and fear and shame, inspires us to pride. And as God tells Moses, I will be with you, we are reminded where our foundation lies. Remember this when we discuss our budget in a few months. The number one thing that churches fight and blow up over is finance. Because that's the piece of ministry where the devil gets into the cracks and begins to split the church apart so that then the foundation shifts From being from something that is unconsumable in Christ to the concerns that are consumable, temporal, and fading. We like to wait, we hold out for the right signs to decide when it's the right time to do something, we are looking for our burning bush, for God to speak with clarity. Stop waiting for your burning bush. God's already done that. He's going to do something new. As he says to his people, I am, has sent me to you so that God always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.